1: Well, the battle uh, against uh, the law enforcement profession, uh, policing has uh, really got to a pretty big uh, feverish pitch now. And we're seeing a lot of the stories. And the big challenge here that we're faced with, my fellow Americans, is this. When the crazies uh, catch the headlines, and there are a myriad of them out there, and that becomes sort of acceptable behavior. In other words, when the radicals are running a lot of these stories and headlines, and it becomes acceptable. And when I say it becomes acceptable, what I mean is they're not being denounced. The, the, you know, and, and I'm speaking about people like the the uh, congresswoman out of Missouri, Cori Bush. Uh, I'm speaking about the uh, the mastermind, Green New Deal, who wants a police-free environment, Rihanna Gunn-Wright. Uh, I'm speaking about people like Keith Ellison, Attorney General there in Minnesota, former DNC head. When, when these kinds of voices are out there and these radical extremist viewpoints, right? That it's not benefiting you or your family in a civil society or law and order society, when they get the microphone and they get the headlines and those radical extreme positions and they're not pushed back, they're not denounced, then you know we're in a heap of trouble. And we are there, we are there. Now, the bigger problem is this, I, I, I'm gonna tell you something you probably already know, but policing, it's, it's, it's becoming very difficult now. I mean, we talked about this five years ago, what if, if we're not careful, we could, and you know, a lot of people say, well, it's not gonna happen, but the profession, it's, uh, it, it's at a crossroads. It's at a crossroads. I mean, you're, you're seeing Pittsburgh, uh, Philadelphia, uh, certainly Chicago, the St. Louis metropolitan area, throughout New York, certainly the city, but uh, Boston, Los Angeles. I mean, the, the city, they're all over. the. These cities and towns are all over uh, the country. They're everywhere, people, everywhere. And the quality of life is plummeting Uh, in in a very, very bad way. And all that pushover is going to end up in your suburban areas and your rural areas. And it's not just the city. So it is absolutely coming to a city or town near you and potentially right where you're at. That's the reality we're facing. I mean, it's no laughing matter. And so, you know, listen, I Today is a very special program for a lot of reasons, and I really want to do this justice over the next couple of hours with you here on The Voice of a Nation. So listen, I welcome you in. Take a seat. Let's relax a little bit. Let's talk about some of these issues that we're faced with in the country here. On, on today's program, uh, we, we will talk uh, about this law enforcement with three big, big voices who absolutely know what's happening here. And uh, we'll get into more of that ahead here, but uh, I'll tell you why. We've got Sergeant Betsy Brentner-Smith here, so spokeswoman for the National Police Association. Dave Smith sort of one of the most recognized police trainers in in the country. And uh, just a uh, terrific, this is what you would call a uh, professional couple who uh, work in an industry, uh, the the ultimate uh, husband and wife team. This would be it, uh, Sergeant Betsy Smith, Dave Smith, uh, in the work they do out there. Of course, Dave is known for that, uh, his alter ego, J.D. Buck Savage, you may recall, right? And also today on the program, a little bit after, is going to be Lieutenant Randy Sutton, Uh, Certainly founder of the Wounded Blue and host of Blue Lives Radio and one of the most special, special people in law enforcement anywhere you'll find. And we have a very personal, personal story to share with you uh, just afterward in the program about something that... uh, Lieutenant Randy Sutton has just gone through that has been life altering for him in ways that uh, I couldn't possibly describe to you. You'll you'll hear from him directly. And also he'll weigh in on the uh, state of law enforcement in our country in a very, very big way. So big, big, big couple of hours coming up here with you on the Voice of a Nation here. Thank you, my fellow Americans, for being with me on the journey here always. So Let's start here at the top here, uh, Sergeant Betsy Bratner-Smith again. Uh, she is a spokesman for the National Police Association, a career uh, uh, law enforcement uh, 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 person that really has dedicated her life. Everybody, in fact, all three on the program today are just dedicated their lives to this profession in ways that y- you can't possibly uh, uh, undercut or hard to describe even, but it's their life. It's, it's in their lifeblood, you know? Um, so, if we start right now and talk about uh, some of the serious things that are happening, before I get into any specific stories, uh, Sergeant Betsy, let's talk about uh, um, the bigger problem. How concerned should people be, and how concerned are you all with what's taking place right now?
2: Well, Malcolm, and, and thanks for having us, for having all three of us. I, I like to speak for Dave and Randy when I get a chance, you know, a couple of lieutenants uh, and I'm their sergeant. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but I, you know, people need to be concerned. Americans need to be concerned about what is happening to the law enforcement profession in this country, especially in our larger urban areas as police are vilified, as we are, quote unquote, defunded, um, as we are pushed back from doing our jobs, you see the direct correlation of crime rising. And the more the police are vilified, the more criminals are emboldened. So this is not just a concern for the law enforcement profession, this is a concern for all of us who want to travel to these cities, who have loved ones in these cities, who might live in these cities. And uh, it's, it, it's as bad as it's ever been in my lifetime.
1: Yeah, well, things that we would have talked about, as I say, uh, maybe five years ago, uh, like maybe we would have said something or speculated on it or actually happening now, and it's hard to put that all back in the bottle once it's out in the way that it is, but a lot of it is the radical nature of these stories I'll jump into in a moment here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to hear from um, Dave Smith a moment here. and uh, uh, what I, I'd like to, you know when we look at the problem in the cities themselves, and I'm talking now about, okay, um, a lot of cities now, I'm, the stories are fast. I mean, uh, people are reti- the officers are retiring early. Uh, they can't attract new recruits at all. They're leaving the profession in numbers we've never seen or probably even imagined. Although we speculated, like I say, years ago, if that didn't stop, if that continued, but David, looks like looks like we're, we're uh, describe what we're faced with right now. That challenge right now, Dave. Please,
3: you know, they, hi, Malcolm. This is one of those really tough times that you you think about in a society that you know we in law enforcement, everybody says, you know, you're always being told, well, you know, you signed up for this or you signed up for that. The problem is what a law enforcement officer signs up for is, uh, it's similar to nursing or education. You, 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 uh, you're called to it and you feel like, okay, I'm going to make a difference in my community. Uh, you're going to get paid. You're going to get a retirement, but also, uh, there is a social contract where you get respected and you respect the community. That uh, in the urban centers is completely collapsed now. And uh, I tell you, your opening sentence uh, in, in the very beginning of this program was so powerful. Where are the voices to reaffirm? You know, whenever they do a poll, they find that 82% of Americans support law enforcement, but their voices are muted by the social media, the media itself, and the politicians. But what's even worse is the law enforcement leadership stands mute so often, and that's very frustrating. So what you're seeing is, Officers who have always believed in that social contract between themselves and their community, they're bailing out. They're saying, "Okay, I got my 20. I got my 25. uh, I'll go do something else. I'll go take care of my family and I'll go live my life if you don't care about me uh, and my efforts. And then conversely, when you go to fill that slot of that retired officer, you're not finding this pool of cadets, uh, uh, potential cadets that want to come in. You're finding more and more people are like, well, why should I? You know, and this is this is sad because uh, you know a, a civil society again, as you pointed out at the beginning. How do you maintain a civil society without law and order? We we say we're a society of laws, yet our intellectual cadre, leadership, do exactly the opposite, and this has become a real problem because you really can't maintain uh, your status of living. You see how the the urban centers are becoming. Uh, ghettoized in so many ways, and yet you can't criticize, you can't comment, you can't, uh, you can't even bring it up if you're of a particular skin tone, or if you're a particular profession, or if you're a particular group. You can't express an opinion. Well, that's not how America is supposed to be, and we're supposed to be able to debate these issues. But what I see happening here are the same things that that we discussed in sociology class and criminology in 1972, 73. Have only got exacerbated and none of the liberal programs that we all thought were going to be so successful in the 70s have brought anything but grief and yet here we go uh, starting more programs more anti-police more anti-american more anti-societal programs that I don't see have any logical end other than the destruction of Western civilization. And it's that sounds cataclysmic, but it looks cataclysmic, especially the fact that there's a few voices like you that are that are trying to reach out nationally. But where is the leadership? Where's the conservative voices other than
1: radio? Uh, it's very frustrating. Yeah, you're not seeing it anywhere. And, you know, some of the stories we'll talk about today are so outrageous. But again, the problem, Dave, is we're not, they're not being denounced. Uh, quite honestly, these stories, uh, when I share them with you in just moments here, folks, you're, you're stu- you'll be stunned. And But what I'm suggesting is, there should be a denouncement from every senator, every congressman, every, uh, the, the administration. I mean, what really should happen is, they should get out of their offices, out of the buildings, they should get out right out into the front there in D.C., get the cameras out there, and they should speak their heart about a law and order in our country and in a, a, a civil society and what this means and denounce these people that we'll talk about in moments uh, that are uh, so outrageous. It's the crazies that are running the farm right now. And this is a real crisis in the making here. And until you people wake up here and stop you know, accepting this behavior, uh, we're going to be in trouble here. I want to talk, Betsy, I want to ask you if you know, when we talk about new recruits being weighed down, I- I'm seeing reports, of course, all over the place. In most of these states, they can't get them in anymore. Uh, you have any numbers or stats? What are we really talking about? Because I've heard there are tens of thousands of numbers I've heard of new recruits being off. What's, what's the real truth there?
2: Well, it's so it's very regional, for example, in, St. Louis, they they're quote unquote, defunding their police department, just eliminated almost 100 new recruit positions. So those will never be police officers. Um, you look at a city like Seattle, they are uh, those officers are leaving in droves and they're not being replaced. Uh, same with NYPD. Their uh, retirements are um They keep going up almost every single day. They can't keep up with the retirement paperwork. So it's very regional. Um, And what's happening is a lot of these police officers who are, if if they don't have enough time or age to retire, they're going somewhere else. So for example, um, the uh, in Spokane, Washington, they're taking advantage of the exodus from Seattle and from Portland, Oregon, and from California, and they're bringing new police officers, or people who've actually been police officers, uh, as new recruits in their agencies. So we're not getting those young people in a lot of these areas. Now, I, I will say, Dave and I just last week, we were training at a big uh, police leadership conference in South Dakota, and we met what a dozen terrific young police recruits who were attending the academy. And these were our people that are probably going to be police officers for 20 or 30 years, but in South Dakota. So it's a very regional mm. situation. So people who live in those large urban areas like Chicago and New York and Miami and Austin, Texas, and Portland, Oregon, and Los Angeles, California, you're the people that really need to be paying attention to what's happening because you're not getting the replacements for those officers who are retiring and leaving and you're being left incredibly shorthanded when it comes to law enforcement.
1: So what will happen now in some of the communities you're speaking about right now, Betsy, like where there is uh, going to be the shortage They can't attract the recruits. Okay. And like you say, okay, so maybe South Dakota is going to do okay, but they're not struggling with the same problems in these other markets. So you've got two choices, basically. You either have to get new blood and new recruits in to replace the retirements, the abuse, uh, and the lack of people signing into the profession the citizens are going to have to speak up at some point and I mean, they're going to, their lives are going to be in, impacted. What's, so what What I'm wondering is what happens in some of those markets to uh, police and leadership? Do they sort of, does it become a, uh, well, it's a needed profession, but a wanted profession where will they, what I'm wondering is, do they have to make the stakes so prime? Like, pay them more, give them more. Are we going to get to a crisis point? I guess we're there now where if they can't get them and there's they're not there, what do they do? Make it more lucrative to attract the people to the profession? Do they pay more? Do they get more benefits? Do they back off? I mean, does it get so bad that it has to get good again?
2: <laughs> well, I, I'll give you an example. Um, look at Tucson, Arizona. What's happening there is they cannot get Uh, They've had so many police officers leave, they're not replacing them because when they used to have 500 people apply for open positions, they maybe have 50 people apply. So what you get is you get people who are unqualified to be police officers. So what is unqualified means? Well, maybe they're not physically capable of doing it. Maybe they don't have the ethics to be able to do it. You know, maybe they, they were involved in crime and drugs and things like that. So what happens, in, and remember, woke politics rules when we're talking about law enforcement in urban areas, Malcolm. So they're not going to pay police more to attract more recruits what they're gonna do is reduce service. So just a couple of months ago in Tucson, Arizona, what the chief did was put out a memo telling the citizens, here's all the things we are no longer going to respond to. So that's what's going to happen everywhere. And we're seeing this, we're seeing this in Los Angeles, we're seeing this in Seattle, we're seeing this in Chicago. There is going. There are going to be more and more things that people expect the police to respond to that they're not they're just not going to respond to so it's a it's a reduction in police service and for every uh, police officer that you're missing on an agency and for every dollar that you defund the agency that's going to take away from proactive policing it's also going to take away from training which is everybody's yelling, we need better trained police officers, better educated police officers. And and in reality, what's going to happen, we're gonna be short police officers. So we're not going to have the police officers to respond to all those things that people expect police officers to do. And it's going to become very dangerous for the communities that we serve.
1: Yeah, well, that is, that is great information you put out there, man. That is great, uh, and yeah, I do remember seeing. I'm glad you brought that up. Some of the reduced services, I I, I forgot about that, uh, Sergeant Betsy, but I do recall uh, some of the stories on that. Like we're like like you say, they come out with a list. We're not we're not going to. Re- report to these kinds of uh, situations, or kind of—it's almost like a menu, isn't it? Like a menu of items. (laughs)
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And so, if you your house gets burglarized, and ordinarily you'd just be able to call nine one one, and a police officer or two, probably two, would respond. Now they're going to maybe take a report over the phone, or they're going to tell you to come to the station and do a desk report. We're going to be doing a lot of insurance reports. Mm. Um, Same thing with traffic crashes. Um, you know, a traffic crashes, you know, people die, people get injured, and yet we're going to have uh, people, you know, who are taking these reports that are maybe civilians or a police officer won't respond to the scene. Mm. There's all kinds of things, you know, and mental health issues. And, and it's just, it's very, very sad because there is a, there's a certain mm. portion of the population who just doesn't have anyone else to call but the police and the fire department.
1: Uh, Dave, talk about, uh, I, I can't lose this point that Sergeant Betsy puts out there. It's so I'm so glad she put it in. It just makes this conversation that much more vital. But the reduced services, I think we got to put our arms around that a moment because I, I'm, I'm seeing that now is the byproduct of a new way of life based on um, based on what the well, the, the sucker punch to this industry, to policing, uh, really I guess the way I would look at it, Dave, it's almost like it's been sucker punched uh, right. to, to the plight of some, of everybody, of everyday Americans. I mean, our police and our law and order, this is the first line of defense here at home. I mean, this is what gives us yep. a lawful society to live in, Dave. So those reduced services that, that Betsy puts out there, that's pretty key, isn't it? Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, so often the very first services that are curtailed
3: by these ridiculous policies are the very ones that were created to serve those, quote, communities that they're so concerned about. The D.A.R.E. program, uh, you know, the GREAT program, the Gang Reduction Education and Training, trying to reduce the gang effect. And what you're seeing now, it, 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 once you do away with these programs and this increased uh hostility towards social order which is the only thing you can look at it and say when you you know you you hit it right on the head what is the what is the ideological end of all these programs what is the end uh game for all of this i mean what kind of world And it it can only be dystopic you know we kid about being a mad max world but you have to ask yourself, if, if I made a movie today about what the world will look like in 20 years with these social programs, it's going to look a lot more like Mad Max than it is Little House on the Prairie. And that's the problem. We, we are, we are, you're going to see social order breakdown, uh, The gangs are rising more and more. These open border situation uh, is simply exacerbating it because you're getting all these MS-13 and the cartels influence. And, and a, a, a normal American who, uh, if you could idealize that one person that sits there in their home with their family trying to take care of their own business and their own, their own safety and security, has to wonder if they pick up the, the phone and, ni- and dial 911, will anybody even answer? In the urban centers, you can say no, they aren't even answering these calls. And this is the terrifying thing. What society is that police don't exist uh, to, to just react to year one particular social need. They react to anybody's crisis, whether it's a disaster, an accident, uh, a sudden illness where somebody collapses. You know, as a young police officer, uh, the first thing that amazed me was the broad spectrum of, of crises and problems that you solve in a day-to-day basis. That's what a police officer does. They, they solve problems. They solve and they give the community security. And yet, at the same time, that's in, ingrained into our social structure. It isn't something that, that the government has imposed on the people. Police is of the people. And that's why American law enforcement is very reflective of that individualistic free society. We, have this, we don't have a federalized uh, uh, Gestapo or, or, or Stasi or anything like that. Yet that seems to be the teleological end of this, this drive for federalization. You know, the media plays their little game. Well, you know, we don't want to see militarized police. Well, they're not militarized, but they have to have equipment against this mass social disorder. But what they do push for is this common standard of federalizing and training, for instance. America is a marvelous experimental laboratory in policing where we have all these different programs to serve the communities, all these different training programs to make our law enforcement better, not oppressive. And yet, what we're doing is we're we're destroying programs, and we're passing uh, pro, uh, and creating programs that are just the antithesis of a free society. And it's very frustrating to me because my my question when I hear some of these these training things that are coming down that are being mandated is, what what will that serve? What does that do? What what problem is that solving? And you always end up with some that we're solving one minute exceptional problem, and we're not even sure that this will solve the problem. If anything, uh, we, we, the more we've tried to react to these, uh, these since the Michael Brown uh, shooting, the more we try to react to the mythology and the fallacies involved around those, the more we've created more and more crisis. The more young black men are resisting arrest and creating more uh, extremists or critical situations like you saw Uh, you know, in in these, you know, these situations where an officer, she draws her, uh, thinking she draws her taser, draws her handgun. We can all say, wow, what a terrible mistake. But who created the criticality? Who created the stress? Who created that crisis situation? Who was the person with a warrant? A warrant involving a handgun, which increases the stress to the officer. All these things are never discussed. They're not even allowed to be debated. And, I sit here and I wonder to myself how, how you people do you realize that what you want to weaken is one of the critical elements in a free society and that is a constabulary that protects everyone especially the victims and goes out there and enforces the laws fairly when we see things like the Giuliani raid the other day we ask ourselves what who who wrote the search warrant on that and what's the intent of that is that's so soviet you you you're going to make sure you get the the former president's uh, confidential uh, and protected communication between his attorney over what, what is normally something's a minor regulatory issue. And we see this over and over again. They serve a search warrant in, in Alaska. The FBI writes a search warrant for the wrong person. Well, who wrote the probable cause for that? If I had done that in narcotics or Betsy had done that when she was a, an officer, we'd be hauled before the magistrate. There'd be hell to pay. That there's never hell to pay anymore. And uh, you American citizens sitting there demand that your politicians speak up, demand that where is our police leadership in our communities that care? You know, we did just talk at a leadership program up in uh, South Dakota, and I was so refreshed to see leaders standing up for what they believe in, supporting not just their communities, but their profession and their officers and their deputies. Because that's what it's going to take. This is a, you know, being free is very difficult. And I don't think it's the innate nature of a human being. I think we're we're the we're a society that's the most rare and wonderful society in history. And before you start changing key elements, you should really have thought about it intensely. And this starts from education to law enforcement. We've got to make sure we're doing the right thing. And we're not anymore. Americans don't even know where their freedoms come from most of the time. That's why they're so willing to do programs that you and I, see as possibly ending those freedoms you know the COVID crisis has created a a weird stress in our society where you have the the people who monitor their neighbors so consistently and constantly to make sure they're not following science but following the dogma the ideologies and so all this you know none of these are separated they're all part of this this cascade of -hmm. of really what i consider an anti-american philosophy You know, it's very frustrating and it's going to make law enforcement more and more difficult.
1: Yeah, it will. It is. uh, And it really, to sum it up, it's the it's the breakdown of a lawful society is what it is. It's the breakdown of a lawful society, and uh, when you hear uh, Dave uh, talk there about the FBI, too, he's very accurate with what he says. It, it's an eye-opener. The statements, and just listening to him, a total, total eye-opener, when he reminds us of how reckless they're being, even at that level of law enforcement in the traditional branch all the way up the chain there, uh, how re- how um, you know reckless it's all becoming. Uh, He referenced the Soviet Union style, you know, that kind of tells you right there. And wow, Uh, it makes you think, though, doesn't it, people? You know, it sure does. Uh, Wow. What a program already. And, you know, now you see why this would be one of my favorites here. I love having uh, Bessie and David Smith on. Uh, They are, uh, again, to, to me, the best husband and wife team in the business here, uh, and it's always a pleasure to have them on. They're both so incredibly well-spoken about the, the issues, and uh, but also the answers to the issues. It's one thing to sit and complain about it all day. It's another thing to fix it and talk about remedies to the problems that beset us, you know what I mean? Uh, they are absolutely uh, world-class, and uh, it is always my privilege to have them on here, for sure. Um, I've been wanting to do this for a while. It's funny. They've been on my mind for a while. I've had uh, Sergeant Betsy on a couple times on Viewpoint, and I've uh, said, you know, i got to get Dave on here, too. He's such a great voice. Now you see why, just listening to him the last few minutes here. It's hard to tell uh, moment to moment which one. They're both so succinct and, and terrific in their uh, uh, enunciations of the problems, you know. Uh, also, a, uh, another fellow comrade, uh, fellow patriot, uh, for sure, and a fellow uh, uh, officer and uh, a leader by any part of the imagination would be uh, Lieutenant Randy Sutton. Uh, somebody I would definitely call a very dear friend, a very personal friend of mine, just as uh, I would say Betsy and Dave are as well. I, I, I say that proudly to you. Um, but uh, Randy is a terrific human being, uh, for sure. Uh, he's going to be on the program today with us. Um, he'll be in, on of the second hour with us. And he has a very, very personal story that I just felt compelled. I, I just really needed to get it out there. I, I love Randy like a brother, and it was important to me. And I know there's some lessons in there he's going to want to share with uh, America. And that was the point of this today for me. And then to make this full throttle with uh, Betsy and Dave is just a pure uh, pleasure to be able to do this program today. It's important to share this out there now and tell folks about this. Uh, There are those of us on the front lines here, as, as Betsy, Dave, and Randy are, and trying to make the ultimate difference out there. Uh, so uh, to remind you here now, the voice of a nation you hear on America Out Loud talk radio, of course, you know, you hear us anywhere in the world, you play on iHeartRadio for sure. Um, but uh, that is uh, the program is five to seven Eastern time every day, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, again, uh, two uh uh, p.m. Um, Pacific, if you're on the West Coast, where in fact a three hours difference which where busy and day would be be three hour difference of time. So two o'clock there, but five on the East Coast, not to confuse you, five to seven every day, Monday through Friday, is the voice of a nation right here. There is an encore that plays later on in the day, the evening, uh, after our primetime program. We have a hell of a primetime lineup now. Uh, a lot of changes happen with our fifth anniversary celebration, but you hear this program later in the day at 10 p.m. Eastern time as well, uh, 10 to midnight. Uh, you'll also get the encore of this program here, if you missed it earlier. It will go to podcast about a day later, about a day or so later. It is absolutely on podcast, and please help us get the truth out there to set the record straight there and get this out there big time. People are going to want to hear this one here today. I just feel something special about it. I suspect this will be listened to it by a lot of people uh, because of the nature of it and what's happening with the uh, culmination of voices here uh, on this. Listen, we are on the moves here on America Out Loud. Uh, fifth Anniversary celebration, you know that. And it's all back at AmericaOutloud.com. We did some major stuff here just a couple of months ago here. Well, about a month ago, actually. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Uh, major, major work. A whole new lineup of programming. Incredible primetime lo- lineup. I uh, like the Constitution Study with Paul Engel at 4 p.m. It's a must, must listen to. Monday through Friday now, 4 p.m. you got to listen to Paul. He is the best of the best. Also, later in the evening at 9 p.m., Uh, is uh, After Dark, Rob and Andrew, they were initially on YouTube and did a great job. And they are now um, here on our network, 9 p.m., again, weekdays, uh, After Dark with Rob and Andrew. Terrific guys, really like these guys. They're doing a hell of a job out there. Our weekend program and also is on fire. When you're out, uh, whatever your plans are for the weekend, as I always say, if you're out gardening or pulling weeds or uh, out in the neighborhood, whatever, take your phone with you, turn the app on. We're on Apple, Android, Alexa. We have over 350,000 app holders here, uh, more than that now, uh, that have that amazing app. And it works. Streams are signal 24-7. But take us with you on the weekends for sure. And you can listen. The program is incredible. Love listening uh, during the week, uh, weekends and uh, during the weekdays. But something about the weekends are a little more relaxing, you know what I mean? Where you can sometimes turn it down, you know, turn it up and then turn it down a little bit. And I don't know. Uh, Something Maybe we've been trained that way as young people. Got to relax on the weekend. So anyways, take us with you there. uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Stephen Latulip, uh, Dr. Jay Lear, Tom Harris, Daniel Baranowski. There is a lineup on the weekends you cannot imagine. It is on fire. Pastor Rick Stevens, Faith Is, does a faith-based program. He's a pastor at the Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral of Florida, I understand, is where he is. I've never, never met him personally, but God, I love the way that guy puts a message out. There. Uh, and faith is. Uh, he definitely is a listen to. Get the whole schedule back at AmericaOutLoud.com. Just look up at the top nav bar, click schedule, and it's beautiful the way it pulls right down. And you can see what's playing, where, when, and how. Okay. Share also the story, please, all the good things on the network, and let people know that uh, Liberty is alive and well. And we're doing it right here at America Out Loud. Listen, we're going to take a quick pause be back with uh, certainly right here, Sergeant Betsy Bretner, smith Dave Smith, uh, uh, Randy Sutton, all of that ahead here. Uh, stay right there, my fellow Americans. More Voice of the Nation just after this.
0: Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com.
4: Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft
1: Store. liberty, and justice for all.
0: Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android or Alexa.
1: Uh, I want to talk about the crazies, the crazies. And there are three stories I want to bring to light, and I want to get to Dave and Betsy's opinions on this. We're here with Sergeant Betsy Brentner Smith, the spokesman of the National Police Association, and David Smith is just an incredible trainer, one of the most recognized. This is a recognizable uh, uh, husband and wife couple. If there is one, this is it right here uh, in in America. And uh, that combined with uh, Lieutenant Randy Sutton, and you can pretty well see here, you you got a program. Uh, that is Olympic style, gold, gold medal style, I guess I'd call it here. Uh, let's talk about, we. you brought up earlier, uh, Sergeant Betsy, about St. Louis. And I want to touch on that a moment. This uh, radical uh, congresswoman there, uh, Corey Bush. Okay. Now, uh, a couple of stats here. This is eye open. And I did not know this about St. Louis. I just discovered it coming into this program, that per capita now, St. Louis, wow, is the seventh most violent city in the entire world. That stunned me, Betsy, that stunned me. Seventh most violent city in the entire world is what they say the St. Louis metropolitan area is uh, per capita now, is what they're saying here. Um, they just asked, uh, as you say, 100 police officers, you mentioned it, that is correct. They're cutting millions from the police department's budget. And this, uh, this uh, all being promoted, uh, pushed, uh, lauded, uh, celebrated uh, by Congresswoman Cori Bush, who called the decision historic. And uh, despite being one of the most violent per capita of the world, this is what she's looking for is no police in, in the market. How do you make this up? What's up with that?
2: Well, you know, remember Corey Bush uh, is a Black Lives Matter activist um, who the people of St. Louis somehow elected to national office. And uh, and she doesn't she doesn't care about the safety of her you know she remember she's the one just what six weeks ago who was cheering on the uh the rioters inside the st louis county jail um as these prisoners were throwing furniture out the windows and setting fires inside the jail and 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 she was tweeting out what a great thing this was she doesn't care about her community she doesn't care about the city of st louis Um, what she cares about is national attention. And so she's getting
1: it. She's getting
2: it. Yeah, of course she is. Because like Dave said earlier, we're not allowed to say anything. I'm not, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged white woman. I can't criticize Cori Bush, um, but I'm gonna. And uh, Cori Bush would be the first person to call 911. Remember, Cori Bush has had um, lots of police protection over the course of her, candidacy and then of course she's now protected by the police when you know she's traveling and when she's in Washington or when she's doing things in her state but you know she was so excited that the city of St. Louis you know they had to cut four million dollars from their a little over four million dollars from their police budget and and she keeps talking about how crime in St. Louis is you know it's committed by the police and it's committed by white people in reality, almost 100% of the homicides committed in St. Louis are committed by African Americans. And you can't, she won't talk about that. No one will talk about it. And, uh, and yet that's the truth. And it's primarily black on black crime. There is very little, if no white on black crime and actually very little white on white crime in the city of St. Louis. Wow. But this is Malcolm, you're talking about craziness. The craziness is that we have stopped talking about criminality. We have we cannot talk about the race of perpetrators unless they are white and we can only talk about how police murder people. We can't talk about anything else. And and Cory Bush is the perfect example of that. It is literally Insanity.
1: Yeah, it it sounds like it is, and as you talked about earlier, I think it was you or Dave mentioned the woke crowd, the woke. Uh, mm. And you're right, the woke is running. Any, in fact, um, we have quite a quite a few articles on the platform about that. Uh, it's funny, uh, the weekends, uh, uh, Dr. Jay Lear and Tom Harris. Are running a whole series against this woke thing both in britain form and on their shows check them out but this is a real problem and people like them betsy are pointing out how this has become a cancer to our society what's happening here now is this i say the crazies uh, but What's happened is radical is being normalized uh, and it's being normalized by the continuing uh, uh, splattering of these headlines. And there's no denunciation of these radical. Here's another one. Let me throw at you here. L- listen to this one. And, and uh, th- this one, uh, D- Dave, comment on this one. This is the uh, I, don't know, you, 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 I don't know if you both have even heard this one, but he, here it is here. Uh, the Green New Deal mastermind. Rihanna Gunn Wright. Remember the name? Rihanna Gunn Wright. Okay. She's the d- director of climate policy at the Roosevelt Institute. And she says a clean environment inclu- includes a police free environment. She says, uh, I mean, what they're saying here. A report was put out here. The true purpose behind the so-called Green New Deal is finally being revealed. It has nothing to do with saving the planet or the ecosystem. Uh, the Green New Deal mastermind Rihanna Gunn-Wright, director of climate policy at the Institute, says a big part of achieving environmental justice is police brutality and a police-free environment. Dave, what do you say to that? You can't make that up. No, you know, the, and the absurdity
3: of this. But the point is, they realize that they are acolytes uh, in the media. You know, they they have their allies everywhere. And it's become this, this bizarre push uh, across the board. Uh, you know, you and I laugh about that. that that's absolutely absurd. Uh, what does climate have to do with policing? The point is, is that way back in the early 90s, I can remember articles being written in conservative journals back when they actually used to, to fight back, you know, saying that green was the new red, you know, that that, that terms like communism had become so tainted that uh, environmentalism uh, became the new umbrella with which all these different uh, socialist movements could get gain, tr- gain traction. See, and even now when I say that, I sound like some conspiracy theorist, you know, but it's so factual. Anything, when you study the environmental movement, it literally is this very bizarre set of beliefs, uh, the very fact that they demand that we say, oh, you know, it's settled science. Science, the very word science is supposed to be synonymous with skepticism, not consensus. Those are, consensus is anti-scientific in its very nature. Yet look at this, whether you're talking about COVID or the environment, we all have to genuflect to whatever the the contemporary quote scientist or quote expert or quote environmentalist says and this is absurdity and you hit it right on the head They, they you know this is this isn't a movement about protecting the planet it's about creating some bizarre utopian dream which you notice they never tell you what the world will look like once they get all their programs in place yet you and i both know it's you know, it's literally going to be cities with run by warlords and probably the filthy planet, just like the, the communist countries have the worst environments on this planet are in industrialized socialist countries. America's cleaned up its lot. So this is you brought up a really sore subject with me because mm-hmm. this is something we've seen coming forever.
1: Well, uh, the worst part about it is this mastermind in climate change is, like you say, is she's more than politicized. She's looking for a police-free environment and tying that to her budgets. Remember, these people in climate change are getting millions and billions of dollars to play with, uh, monopoly money. Uh, and they're able to play with it with all kinds of things about this environmental justice they're calling it. This is sort of that whole new woke environment where, again, here's the danger. It's they're, they're making radical normal. And this is a real problem. This is where this whole woke cancel culture mentality has taken over. Now, there's another third story in the crazies. I want to cover three of them. And so, Betsy, listen to this one. This one is uh, Keith Ellison. You know, as soon as you say the name, you kind of know. I mean, we're talking radical here. So he wants the American police, our police officers, correct, prosecuted in international criminal court. You can't make this up. Now, let me explain. International criminal court, I think it's done in, it's. I think it's the Netherlands or something like that. It's some far distant land, whatever it is. And uh, we're talking a genocide, uh, forced migration, uh, pillaging, uh, child uh, conscription, torture. Uh, we're talking executions, rape. Uh, all, uh, we're talking, these are the worst crimes against humanity. We're talking, this is evil. This is this is the center point of evil that we, t- the worst that you would possibly do, this is what this criminal court goes after. Well, what Keith Ellison, the Minnesota Attorney General, former DNC head, was telling MSNBC and CNBC and all of the Uh, NBC alphabet uh, programs there uh, that uh, you know that this is what should happen they should send all of these uh, police officers uh, to be prosecuted to send them to this international body uh, as a crimes against humanity Betsy or genocide war crimes that kind of thing where do you go with this kind of a story Sergeant Betsy what what
2: well, you know, again, you know, we the, the three of us would say, you know, of course, this is insanity and this will never happen. And yet Keith Ellison is riding on the victory of convicting Derek Chauvin of several crimes in Minneapolis. But what people need to know about Keith Ellison is he is an extremely radical leftist. He's a huge fan and, in fact, a former employee of the you know king of anti-Semites Louis Farrakhan, and uh, but now he's got he's got a national voice again. Even though you know again Keith Ellison, uh, domestic abuser allegedly, lots of bad things uh, come along with Keith Ellison. But because the far radical left in Minnesota has put him into, a uh, once again, a position of national spotlight, um, we're, we're going to have to deal with what he's talking about. Now, will it happen? I don't believe it will. The uh, foreign, foreign uh, courts getting involved in our justice system is unconstitutional. It's against the law. Um, but again, where are the pro-police conservative politicians? Why aren't they standing up in front of a microphone every night on cable TV and talk radio and denouncing this kind of nonsense and insanity, this attack on our justice system. Where are they?
1: Yeah. As I said, they should be denounced immediately. They should be out on the Capitol steps, every one of them. And it should it's just what should happen and telling people. How, because if you don't call the radical out for what it is, that it is that radical extreme, it becomes normalized. So when you say, well, that probably won't happen. Well, quite frankly, five years ago, we never thought they'd be talking about defunding major police departments either. And we never thought that would happen, Betsy, you know. I mean,
2: exactly. I mean, you know, things have- happened so rapidly that again when i say oh this will never happen i i say it sort of hopefully with my fingers crossed because so many bizarre things have happened but we need leadership police leadership political leadership and community leadership to from from all sides to stand up and say That's just crazy. We just got to start calling it.
1: Well, let's talk about leadership right now. I'd like to take the next uh, five, six minutes, and I want to give it to you guys to really talk about what can we do. Dave, let's start with you and then follow with Betsy. Let's take a few minutes and tell us what are the steps you would implore here? How do we change the trajectory of this? I mean, I I talk about denouncing it, getting out of the Capitol. I mean, okay, so that's out there. But from a policing standpoint, where are some of the answers here, Dave? What can what can be done? You know,
3: I got to tell you, it's it's time for law enforcement officers themselves to, uh, in their off duty, to start uh, openly protesting, to show up at these meetings, to take over their local. Uh, you know, whenever there's a, a city council meeting, you know, this is the problem. You have chiefs like Tucson's chief, which uh, he he's on Instagram all the time with his left wing malarkey, and yet he's shuts his officers down on social media this kind of soviet style censorship needs to be uh, questioned denounced and crushed our our officers need to be I, ironically the, the one thing you'd have to say in a in a in a republic like ours the the, the, the squeaky wheel really does get all the grease and so we've got to start speaking up you know and those you know your listeners need to go out and go to their city council meeting go to their uh you know get involved in their precincts and, and their various political affiliations and get involved go to the, the school meetings you know and this is the thing we we, we have you know too often, uh, those people who are conservative have thought, well, you know what, the system is what it is, and I'm going to just be a good citizen and mind my own business. Well, the problem is they're in our business big time now. And if you just think them de-policing your, age, your uh, community is a neutral event, it is extremely hostile to your safety, security, and your grandchildren's future. So let's start being vocal. Let's start standing up. I, I, you know what, it, it's literally time for activism On the the conservative side, I I sit there so frustrated that major conservative leaders, quote unquote, uh, are so, uh, the first thing they say is, well, we really, we're willing to uh, sit down and talk. Nobody wants to sit down with you. They're they're not sitting down with us. They're telling you to shut up. Yeah, whenever you hear a liberal say, we need a conversation, what they mean is you need to listen to us. It's always a listen, never a conversation. So if they're not going to listen to us, then we need to turn and start telling telling ourselves we need to start putting lectures on we need you know this is where people like you come in you are that that that's the tip of the spear and the, your listeners need to get fired up and go to their city council meetings go to their uh, again you've got the supervisors meetings for your counties you need to get involved because this is this past time to be passive it's time to be active
1: Yeah. Wow. Perfectly said. Tip of the spear. I'm jotting that down right now. I love it. Um, And, uh, uh, you know, that that's all great advice right there. Um, Sergeant Betsy, let's take it there now from there. What other advice do you have? And, and, you know, to remind people here, you know, you also as spokesman for the National Police Association, uh, you're representing uh, a, a bigger group. Uh, as a spokesman for that. Uh, So that's kind of an important role, too, because you're always on the television outlets and various people representing the industry. Uh, It's an important role, isn't it?
2: Well, absolutely. And that's what we're trying to do at the National Police Association is give citizens uh, who are pro-police an outlet. We're giving them suggestions. We're helping them understand what they can do to help support their law, uh, local law enforcement. Go to nationalpolice.org, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and see what it is that we do. And, and, like, and like Dave said, you know, we've got to get involved. We as citizens, we've got to get involved locally and we've got to push our leadership. One of the best things that people can do is know what the real statistics are and do what we call fight the false narrative. There is an absolutely false narrative out there that American law enforcement officers are racist, that our justice system is full of racism, that our country is racist. That is not true. And we need to speak up and talk about, you know, how many contacts American law enforcement officers have with people every single day, 50 to 80 million contacts with our citizens a year. And we only utilize deadly force about a thousand times. That's a minuscule situation. And yes, police officers end up shooting far more white people than we do black people or other people of color. We've got to get out there, fight the false narrative. But what people need to realize is a saying that we all heard when we were young, all politics are local. You've got to get involved politically and you've got to get involved locally if you want your police to help keep you safe.
1: That's that's the catch of it right there here. Powerful, powerful message by powerful, powerful voices right here. And. Uh, truly, um, I mean, you just heard a lot right here. It, it doesn't get any better than this, than Sergeant Betsy Brenton-Smith, Dave Smith, or the 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 commitment they've made to the industry, uh, along with uh, Randy Sutton, you'll hear Blue Lives Radio, The Wounded Blue here, and just a bit here an hour or two. Uh, you know, it, this is it. This is where the rubber meets the road, uh, is, uh, is what... Um, uh, you know, Dave was just saying the tip of the spear. Uh, that's our job right here, my friends. That's what we have to do to be able to take it back. We've got to make these radical people and policies be radical, not mainstream and civilized. They, you can't, because the more they keep talking, like Uh, it's like just like the fun of the police. The more they keep talking, the more acceptable the crazy behavior becomes. And when you say, well, they can't really do that, can they? Well, then they do do that. And you see, that's where it all gets a little dicey, really dicey, because then we're in uncharted territory. And it doesn't make any sense. But what has to make sense today, people? Not a hell of a lot anymore, does it? we're We're in a crazy moment of time. This program today... Vitally, vitally important. I feel really uh, uh, juiced about it all. Uh, really, I there's a there's a mechanism in me that just tells me we're. So, that's why this program today was important to me to do. I guess first of all. But I just felt a need. I felt a need to get these voices to the mic and to get them out there and to do our part in this in this battle. I need your to, you to help me now to get this out there in a big, big wave. We need to also get people over to the woundedblue.org and help help donate a few dollars there to help our wounded uh, brothers and sisters in blue out. And people, you know, again, who do you call it your worst possible moment in life? You know, the police, they see people at their worst moment. Uh, That's when they're dealing with us, when we really need them. Uh, And when they really need us, my fellow Americans, where are we? That is a question we should be asking ourselves right this moment. Where are we in this fight? It's what we need to do here. Uh, we are the tip of the spear here. It's time to move this ball forward and do everything we can. And so take uh, Sergeant Betsy's advice, get over to the National Police Association, get, take Dave's advice, get involved in these local politics and things that can make a difference in communities. The defund the police cannot be the normal. It is not the new normal. It is radical. It is extreme. It cannot happen. And we need to denounce that. And we need to denounce these people who are doing this. That's the key right there. So, all right, next hour again, I promise you this, a very, very personal story by uh, a man that I, I, it's hard to put into context, the contributions that that Randy Sutton, Lieutenant Randy Sutton have made to America, have made to this career, this industry, this profession. Uh, law and order. But he has done all of that. And I'm privileged to call him a friend and but call him somebody who is here on our platform, uh, who's been here from day one. When we launched this whole thing in April 2016, Randy was a voice right there with me. So let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let's turn on the lights. Let's make it happen. And this is before a lot of the battles got as vicious as they are today, but they are. He's going to join me in the second hour here. Lots to talk about, including this personal story. He just went through a life altering uh, event himself, and uh, it's a wake up call. It's a wake-up call is what it is. We'll be talking about that in just moments, I, I assure you. It's going to be interesting to hear him. I haven't really heard him on mic in the way that I think we're going to be talking about just ahead. I'll give the floor to him, and he'll tell the story, I'm sure, as well as the state of law enforcement in our great nation. And let's keep it great, my fellow Americans. Thank you again, as always, for being with me on the mission here. It's time to get involved and get loud. Welcome back to hour two on the Voice of a Nation. Here it is, Malcolm Out Loud, and we're talking today all things law enforcement and looking at the uh, the current state of affairs in the law enforcement community. Wow, there are a lot of wild stories as we were talking about up front of the program, uh, and they don't seem to stop. There's no shortage of crazies out there when it comes to this particular topic. Uh, but again, when you when you measure this all up and you see that you know law enforcement, that's the first line of defense back here at home. Uh, is uh, to have a a civil society and uh, you don't have to look any further than law enforcement right here at home. So if people are trying to tear us apart, my friends, that's where they're going to start, right there, right right in your neighborhood, basically, is what it is. So as we talked about a lot of these stories up front here, uh, I want to now dive into a couple of things. Yeah, I promised you up front a a very special story with a very dear um, friend, uh, really one of the uh, leaders in law enforcement in our nation uh today's a pretty cool program because you're hearing from some really great people in law enforcement that make that have their careers are in law enforcement number one and they certainly are the go-to voices when it comes to this topic and that's none other than here uh, lieutenant randy sutton uh, who is here and joins me now uh, as you know, uh, uh, Lieutenant Sutton's a 34-year law enforcement veteran, retired from the Las Vegas Police Department, in fact. Now, he, you hear on the network, I play Spots on the Wounded Blue. Uh, Randy is the founder of that organization, and we'll touch on that a little bit, but it's a it's a peer support organization for injured, disabled officers and families and this sort of thing. And my golly, is there a need for that out there right now? Uh, for sure. And uh, he, it, you know, you, you, when you think of military, you, you think of that group, the wounded warriors, that sort of, well, this is the wounded blue. And it makes a lot of sense. And Randy uh, is the founder of this organization as well. I want to start in a very personal story, Randy, with you. And um, uh, as I was telling listeners up front, you know, just recently, uh, well, I guess last couple of weeks here, you went through a life changing event uh, that changed a lot of things for you and really caught you, I think, by surprise, because I was actually on the phone with you that morning and we were talking and you said, wow, I've got some pretty devastating news. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of what you were faced with at the moment that you had to sort of rally around. Uh, bring us to that moment. You're in the hospital. We were on the phone, actually, I said earlier that day, but what was going on for you and what what transpired? Well,
4: Malcolm, it's, um, it's been three weeks now that uh, I, I had a quadruple bypass um, surgical procedure and it actually completely took me by surprise. I, um, you know, for, for, for the listeners background uh, information, um, the reason that I, Actually, retired from law enforcement was because I suffered a stroke in my police car ten years ago, approximately ten years ago, and that ended my police career. And uh, I've taken really good care of myself since then. Uh, the uh, the stroke did not leave me with any really major permanent disability, other than some memory loss. Um, but I'm very cognizant of my health and the way I, you know, the way I conduct myself and eat and try to do everything right. Um, but I started having a little bit of, of, of uh, symptoms with, um, uh, uh, a little bit of, of fatigue when I shouldn't have been fatigued, some breathlessness when I exercised. So I went to see the doctor and and he said, you know, the only way to really tell is to go in and do a catheterization. You probably need a stent or something. So that's what I had set in my mind, went into go do the catheterization and uh, that's where they put a scope into your heart and you're conscious and awake during that. And uh, when the doctor did that, he said to me, Randy, uh, we need to put you into emergency surgery right now. You'll be dead in the next couple of days if we don't. And uh, boy, I tell you, Malcolm, that, <laughs> that certainly gets your attention. Uh, and I had no choice. I went in, did the surgery It's been three weeks now, and um, I can tell you I'm in a significant amount of pain, uh, but the surgery went very well. Uh, Once again, that angel that's been on my shoulder for literally my entire police career was, I believe, with me again, Um, and it's not my time yet. So I'm going to survive this. I'm going to persevere and continue to work with men and women in law enforcement and do the very best that I can do. To, uh, to make their lives better.
1: Yeah. You have uh, clearly dedicated your entire life uh, toward law enforcement. Everybody that knows you knows that out there, uh, the circles that you're in. I mean, uh, you breathe, you live it, and you know what that warrior spirit is all about here. And, and we're at this really weird uh, moment in time in law enforcement. We'll touch on more of that in a moment here. This uh, procedure you went through, uh, it does get your attention right away because you know you 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 have to have a heart. You can't live without a heart. Although figuratively speaking, some people out there do live without hearts. I guess I shouldn't say that, huh, Randy? Yeah, I'm right. not
4: going dis- to dispute. that.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's not really nice. But anyways, um, but you know you need the heart. You get we get one heart, and 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 you got to take care of it now. Uh, You know, I often think of those symptoms because uh, you were blessed. You were fortunate that you were, uh, like I said, we were talking that morning on the phone and I could tell you were in a whirlwind. I mean, I could tell you were totally, your mind was blown. I mean, I I know you enough over the years to know that. And my heart went out to you right then. I thought, Oh, what can I do here? I was very concerned for you. um, Because there are no guarantees when you go through any of this. Now that procedure, luckily at this moment in time is, is uh, I mean, the, not only is the survival rate very, very good, but to get back to a normal life is really incredibly uh, real. I mean, it happens very much. Um, but when you're faced with that reality of having to go through it, had you not been in there, you know, there are a lot of people who lose their lives unexpectedly because A, they ignore the signals, the signs. Yeah, a lot of guys, too, we play tough, so we don't always like to go to the doctors. I mean, I'm pretty much the same way. I hate to go to the doctors. That was the difference of life and death for you, wasn't it?
4: Absolutely. This was, uh, this was um, a moment when, and I did not know whether or not I was going to survive the surgery. You know, when you, this is major stuff. This is, they uh, crack your chest. Uh, yeah. They go in and there is no, there's no guarantee here. There's no, you know, there's no, uh, That's uh, <laughs> there's no way to really know what's going to happen when you do major surgery. Um, you know, they tell you before they put you under, you know, you could, you could have a stroke, you could have a blood clot surgery can, can, uh, you know, not work. Um, this could be, so, you know, when they, when they're putting that, when they're putting that IV in your arm about to put you under, you know, this may be your very, very last moment on earth. And it's a very, um, humbling experience. And at the same time, a very reflective experience. And, and uh, Malcolm, I, I got to tell you, uh, this was um, a couple things that I'm still I'm still wrapping my head around the the experience because um, something happened that uh, I, I didn't really expect, and that was uh, the incredible amount of love and support that came my way. Um, I. I did a, a short video thanking everyone for, for giving me that love and support. And I called it my George Bailey moment uh, from, uh, from the um, Christmas movie, it's, it's a Wonderful Life, where uh, George Bailey, you know, got the opportunity to see what life would be like without him. And, you know, it, it, that, was a, like, that was a moment for me that I experienced when people contacted me, some who I, I never even knew that I affected their lives, um, telling me about how I had affected their lives and how much it meant to them. So I gotta tell you, it was it's, it's, a, it's a life-changing experience, Malcolm. And, and it really, it, what it does is it spurs me on to continue my work and to continue to touch the lives of as many people as I can in a positive way.
1: Randy, you're uh, you, you're an amazing man, and I'll tell you, and I'm glad I get the moment to tell you that today, because what I was so worried about at that moment when I was talking to you that morning, because you're right, something can go wrong. It, it, it happens. There are no guarantees when you're going under a major surgery like that. I mean, we hope for the best, and we think for the best. In fact, if you remember that morning, I said to you, Randy, this is a pretty normal procedure. You'll be okay. You remember that.
4: Uh, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> Excuse me. The uh, The doctor who had a pretty good sense of humor, um, mm-hmm. when he's about to put me under, said, Hey, I, I just want you to know that this is, uh, this is um, heart surgery 101 for me. Right. And I said, Okay, well, that's nice to know. Well, heart surgery 101.
1: Yeah. Well, it is in a lot of these experts. He's very talented. Isn't it amazing how talented these surgeons are, Randy? You know? Oh my
4: God, the skill level and the, I know. you know, it, it really is. It's, uh, I, and I, I get, you, you know, I got to tell you, I have no complaints at all about any aspect of my health care during this entire event. You know, the nursing staff at the, at the hospital, Spring Valley Hospital in Vegas, the doctors, the uh, rehab people, there wasn't one negative moment other than, you know, the, the pain and the misery that I went through, but from this, from the, the caring staff, and it means the world when you're in, you know, you're so incredibly vulnerable at that moment, you're so, helpless, yeah. helpless as a, as a newborn. And I, you know, it was, you can imagine how uncomfortable that is for me.
1: Well, I was thinking of that a moment ago. For people like you and I, uh, it's hard to put our hands and trust into someone like that, isn't it, Randy? You know what I mean?
4: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah. it, it, it's it, it was a moment, Malcolm, that uh, yeah. I'll, I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. Which hopefully I, will be a lot longer now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew it. I knew this event would impact you in big ways. I I, I mean, I, I can see it really has now even more than I anticipated. You know, um, you have impacted so many lives out there. You you had no idea. You're exactly right. You're, you're exactly right with what you say. You had no clue. Because you get up every day, Randy, and you put your pants on and you go about your business every day trying to make the world a better place. You've done that all your life, in fact, okay? You really have. And, and you're very humble. So I don't, you know, I don't expect you to reply to any of this, but you have impacted so many lives out there. And that's what dawned on me that morning when I was speaking to you. I was concerned. You've made such an impact here on this network, surely, but you've made an impact in my personal life. I can't. uh, When I think of anybody with class and dignity, style and uh, somebody who is just uh, just uh, remarkable, but you're, you're always authentic. And you're that person. And that morning I thought, wow. And I thought to myself, Randy, I said, I hope and pray I get a chance to talk to him on the other side of this thing. You know, what's worse is what I really don't like about these situations in life, Randy, is when something happens, and then after the fact we realize how important that person was, and then we say, Oh man, why didn't I say something or do something? Or you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I know exactly what you're
4: talking about, and it's um, you know, because of my previous encounters, close encounters with death. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I, I lost my fear of death many, many years ago uh, during a, a gunfight that, or after a gunfight, I should say, that, um, that I never should have survived. And so my own mortality and thoughts of mortality um, are, are always in evidence with me. I, I think about it often. I think about our impact. Yeah. I think about um, the moments that we, that we have here, which are really in the, in the big scheme of things, very fleeting and understanding that the moments that you, that you are here um, should never be wasted, that should be cherished, and you should always try and leave um, a legacy wherever you go and whatever you do.
1: You sure should, Randy. Um, That is the message, what you say right there, that people need to take from this. In fact, that's why I wanted to talk about this today. I wanted that. It's so important, the things we're talking about right now. You know, I tell people all the time, Randy, our listeners and our, our friends and people around the world that the gift of life. the the, the And I, I, I absolutely recognize that every day. Randy, there's not a day I don't get up that I honestly don't count my blessings in a big way. Today was exactly that same way. I got up and I thanked God that I have the chance to do this all over <laughs> again and make an impact, you know, on, on society as a whole. Um, you know, all, all of this, Randy, and throughout your career, and where we are today, a lot of the things we're talking about too always come down to the fight of good and evil, don't they?
4: Yeah, I do. I, I believe that as well. Uh, the uh, every single day that we have the opportunity, you know, it, it's it's easy to get stuck in what I call the vortex of mundanity. That's right. That is becoming uh, encumbered by your daily existence you know the things we have to do we get up we we you know do our ablutions and we have to you know check uh, check our messages and we have to you know d- do what we do in order to get through the day we have to go shopping we got to do this we got to do that and so that takes a lot of effort and time and sometimes you can get stuck in that vortex where where you are so involved in that you forget to think about the things that are important, the things that that are truly important, and that is your family and the people that you love, whether that family is blood or whether it's friendship. Um, and so, it, it it's important, I think, to understand that in the in the our day to day lives, we we mustn't lose. Some of that, which is important, you know, I had a, I had the opportunity when I, when I did my, um, my video prior to going into surgery, where I was basically preparing, you know, the, the people that follow me on my, on my, you know, Facebook pages and on LinkedIn and such, um, you know, with just giving them a, a basic overview, and I, I left them with with two. Of my personal philosophies. And this is something that I, I urge people to do. And that is develop your own philosophies of life that you want to embrace throughout your, throughout your experience here. And and the two that I, that I mentioned were the, the two um, philosophical um, treatises, if you will, that, that I try and live my life by. And the first one was that um uh, friendship is the greatest form of love and that's something I have always believed and I and I believe with all my heart that that when you give friendship it, it is the purest form of love and the second is that you cannot you cannot choose your destiny but you can create your legacy and those are the two philosophies that um i i live my life by and and literally those are my guiding those are my guiding um uh points of of life
1: uh those are uh beautiful statements to put out there and for people to um uh, what i would call those is your core values your principles uh, randy you know your core values um we all need to have core values in our lives you're right uh, pri- guiding principles right uh, things we embrace, no matter what the situation is or what that moment is, for sure. I, I entitled the first part of this uh, talk we did today, Randy, right now, I, I jot down ahead of time here, when life throws you a curveball, uh, hit it. And I thought of you with that uh, analogy of baseball, being a baseball fan and all, and uh, Randy's very personal story in this life-changing moment. When I seen the video you did, and that you put on a social media, and I know you being a a private but public guy like myself, we like to, we respect our privacy and we want to have that, but we're also public figures and we put it out there to better mankind, to better society, to make an impact on people's lives, as you say there, Randy. Um, and so there's a lot of takeaways from this in this life altering moment. And I wanted people to embrace this story and, and just um, hold on to it. Uh, so, uh, The takeaways are many from this, Randy. But you really, when something like this happens in our lives, I guess what I'm thinking is, you you've got to have a renewed feeling in your life, right? This moment, you you get another, you know. And earlier, what? Let me say this to you too. What you said earlier, like you've been close to death before. What you have? That's the nature of the good and evil. See, you've seen evil in its purest state over your years as a police officer out there on the streets. People don't realize what police officers go through. They see people at their worst. You know, you don't call the local police when you're having a great day. Hey, I just wanted to call 911. Things are going fabulous here in the city. Doesn't happen, Randy, you know? For (laughs) sure, for sure. You call 911 or you call the police when you're at your worst possible moment and you need help. And see, people forget that about law enforcement, how critical they are to our, uh, to a civil society here and uh, to uh, our, peace at home here what it's it's so vital so so vital and so I got thinking of that with you and uh, uh about uh, you know w- you see an evil over all those years and where it's at and I'm guessing that although you've been close to death before in your life sure but now I'm thinking the morning when you went under Randy and I'm thinking well but like you kind of were sure. It's not that you're scared of that again, uh, you know, uh, 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 mortality. That's, that's not what I'm talking about, but I think you probably felt at that moment, knowing the risk that you had unfinished business thing, cause you've now you've got this new organization, the wounded blue, you've got all these people that are counting on you. Is that a fear assessment that you sort of felt the unfinished business is overwhelming and there's a lot to do here? Yeah, absolutely. The,
4: you know, when I was uh, considering, <laughs> you know, the, the options, um, one of the things that's been really important to me is, is creating a, a, a succession for my organization. Something that, that leaders really need to consider because tomorrow is promised to no one. And um, this is, it's, it was very important to me early on when I created the Wounded Blue, which is the National Assistance and Support Organization for injured and disabled officers, that I I prepare for the eventuality that I won't be here anymore, whether that is you know because I've died or because there, you know my I was no longer able to to uh, you know carry on and, and as a leader of an organization, so. Because the organization and what it does and the mission is so vitally important, I put into place a, um, a mechanism of succession. And I chose a successor who I have groomed and is, in fact, my executive director. And, and it was really important to me because I know that this organization and what it does and who it helps is bigger than me. It's bigger than than all of us. And but it has to have the ability to continue on with, with, with me at the helm or not. So creating that succession is really important to me. And I think it's it's also a life's lesson for for all leaders of, of organizations and companies that you know people are counting on you and your wisdom and your your leadership. Whether you're here or not, so you have to. It you you owe it to your people, to um to to create that environment that will continue on even after you're not here. Yeah,
1: that's very well said. It's it's called a legacy. Uh, it is absolute legacy. By the way, Randy is a great author. He's got outstanding books. Again, this is what this guy does. He puts a message out there. All those books are are at any bookstore. Just look up Randy Sutton. They're also in the America Out Loud bookstore. That those links are right at americaroutloud.com, By the way, you can get the bookstore right in the sidebar. Uh, you can get all that, and we are selling a lot of books from that bookstore. Um, I'm amazed and blown away with how popular that has become. We're going to have to revamp that and, and um, get that uh, kind of 2.0 at some point as well. You know, the work never stops here for sure. Uh, The Wounded Blue. We've got a link uh, right at americoroutloud.com for the wounded blue, uh, org, and um, it gets into uh, the mission and uh, what this is all about. And I, I really want to encourage you to please take a look at that and help our, our fellow brothers and sisters in blue, uh, the profession as a whole, uh, the, the, the plight that many of these officers go through, their families, uh, when something happens, they become disabled, wounded, whatever it might be. It is the purest way to show our love back for this uh, amazing profession and one that is under an awful lot of heat right now. So, what I want to do here in the next chapter of our program and conversation today with Lieutenant Randy Sutton, I want to talk about and get his uh, view and perspective uh, about the uh, plight of what's happening, because there are some crazy stories. You heard us talk about that up front um, uh, in the program. And I, I do want to touch on that and get Randy's um, feeling and sense of what's happening out there in the industry. So in, in any event, I'm going to ask you to stay right there, my fellow Americans, and we'll be back with more voice of a nation just after this.
0: Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa.
5: Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older, until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell.
1: The America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come. AmericaOutLoud.com It's a fight for the soul of humanity.
0: The silent majority has spoken. We say let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at Liberty at AmericaOutLoud.com. Liberty at
1: AmericaOutloud.com Welcome back here. We are an hour or two here of the voice of a nation. It's Malcolm Out Loud here. We're speaking to uh, my uh, personal friend and certainly a friend of this network and a, uh, a dear patriot and uh, someone who's dedicated his life to uh, law and order and that's lieutenant randy sutton now he does a program blue lives radio uh this is uh we've, we've been doing that since day one here on the network randy was here uh, the moment we turned the lights on uh that it became we became america that was april 2016 by the way Uh, And I knew Randy before that as well, uh, five, six, seven, eight years before that, because I was hosting a show out of Salt Lake City, and Randy used to come on here and there and talk to me through the Salt Lake City. That was a lifetime ago. Randy, that was about, wow, that was um, about 10, 12 years ago, you know, buddy.
4: You know, it's hard to believe how fast (laughs) time is going by now. (laughs) It's really, it's really
1: stunning. Yeah, it is. Uh, but we we did. Uh, we, we used to I used to have you on. And i met some fascinating people through that show. I uh, that's one of the oldest talk radio stations, Randy, in the nation, uh, K-Talk Radio. And I was hosting a show out here. And actually, I've got a couple of really memorable friends. Uh, it's quite a few, actually, I met from that years back. Well, like I said, well, over 10 years ago, Randy was one. Ilana Friedman was another. Uh, these were these were Class A people, I just had the blessings to be able to run across. And, you know, what you do in your journey of life, and I know Randy knows this as well, I look at people like this and friends, people you want to keep on your mission. And I've been really blessed with that over the years to keep people. I want to build bridges and build mountains here with people. Uh, you know, you, you learn a lesson, Randy, as a young people, you always say, what does that say? And they would say, like, don't burn your bridges or don't break, burn your bridges, right? Is that what it is? Don't burn your bridges or something like that. Is that what it is. <laughs>
4: well, well, if you're smart you don't burn your bridges. <laughs> right,
1: right, right. I mean that's the that's the saying you learn as a young kid and uh and uh, uh you know I remember that but I I for me I know no I like to keep those bridges wide open and uh, met a lot of interesting people back then and uh and and kept them with us and here we are today many of them are great voices and writers and people on the network. Uh, Pretty, pretty amazing. Um, So we are talking again, Lieutenant Randy Sutton, Blue Lives Radio, The Wounded Blue. Uh, You just heard his life experience, uh, what he's just going through with this major uh, quadruple bypass. He went in to think it was just a stent. You know, stents are very commonplace, Randy. Now you go and you get a stent, you can almost do it at lunchtime, you know. Uh, Yeah, exactly.
4: Right. (laughs) Exactly. Just what I thought.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of cardiologists and cardiac surgeons and actually uh, studied that uh, bit of it. And it's very, very, uh, they're very commonplace. But when you get to quadruple bypass, because there's blockage there, that's a matter of life and death. And that's where Randy was in that moment of time and had to really grasp for the moment here. Randy, let's transition and talk a little bit, please, about um, law enforcement. We were talking up front with a couple of other friends of yours, you you guys are so, you know, law enforcement is a very close knitted community of professionals. And we had Sergeant Betsy Bratner Smith, uh, who's now spokesman for the national police association and David Smith, who are definitely good buds of yours as well. And, um, and they were, they just love you as well. They were talking about you and always uh, thinking highly. We, I, in fact, I was communicating with Betsy uh, Sergeant Betsy when all this was happening with you, by the way, uh, when you were kind of off the radar screen there after the surgery, you know, we were talking. So Anyway, so let's talk about law enforcement in uh, the country. So biggest thing right now at, at 35,000 feet, Randy, is the stories are everywhere. It's not just New York. It's not just Pennsylvania. It's it's everywhere. They're having an awful time now. Uh, things that we would have talked about a few years ago when things were getting hot and heavy, when we could have controlled it and changed the trajectory of it. Right now, it looks like we're slowly but surely cramping. You know, getting to a crisis mode. Is, I don't know how else to explain it. Actually, where they can't get re- new recruits. Uh, you people are leaving the profession. They are retiring. These are not just uh, talking things. These are really happening. And they're, uh, they can't attract any more people now to the profession. What's going on, brother?
4: Well, this is really um, a crisis, and we haven't seen the worst of it. Uh, By any stretch of the imagination yet, we are we're headed for a um, we're headed for a much larger crisis than we have now. And that is that as the anti law enforcement um, societal issues continue, um, I call it revenge based uh, politics against the police is getting more and more acceptable, which is shocking to me. Um, Your logic no longer plays a role in leadership in this country. The the, the logic that is um, taking place in cities, for instance, I just read a headline today in um, St. Louis. St. Louis, just um, the people there elected a woman who, is a revenge-based leader. Uh, she, She hates the police, she's made no bones about it. And now they're going to defund millions and millions and millions of dollars from the police department. Now, does it make sense to reduce police and the effectiveness of policing in a city that is seeing the murder rate and violent crime rate exponentially increase? Of course it doesn't. No logical person would say, yeah, that's the thing to do. That's how, you, that's how you combat crime. You reduce the number of cops. You reduce the effectiveness of policing. But it no longer matters, Malcolm. We are no longer seeing logic-based leadership. We are seeing revenge-based leadership based on bias and hatred of law enforcement. And this is going to, this is going, this is already happening all over the country. 5,000 New York city police officers retiring thousands of, of officers across the country, just throwing in the towel and saying, I'm done. And there is a huge learning curve when it comes into training and becoming effective as a cop. It takes five years to become competent as a police officer, five years. Well, when you're losing all of your experienced people across the nation, uh, you're going to see, and we're already seeing, I mean, it's it's so evident. I look and I marvel and I go, how does any normal, intelligent human being look at the crime that is happening in cities across the nation, seeing literally out of control murders and robberies and rapes and aggravated assaults and then say on the other side of this coin hey i know what we should do let's defund the police and make their lives as miserable as humanly possible that's exactly what's happening
1: yeah um the story you talked about in saint louis you're speaking about the democrat cory bush is that correct Yes. Yeah. So let let me tell folks, let's talk about that St. Louis deal a moment here. A couple of interesting things. Did you know that that city is named, this is crazy. This is wild. I did not know this, but St. Louis now, that city is named the seventh most violent city in the entire world, Randy. I didn't know that. Did you?
4: Well, I I didn't know they were the seventh. I knew that they, I mean, I have a lot of interaction with St. Louis cops. The, the uh, frustration level down there is absolutely through the roof. The mor- the morale of the departments are in the toilet, and um, and and the leadership is astoundingly stupid.
1: Yeah, so I mean, and they're not a t- who would want the job in St. Louis? First of all, you're dealing with the seventh most violent in the entire world. That's violent. That's I mean, that's evil at its core. And now they're moving toward, as I understand the story here, Randy, they want to axe, they want to remove and and re- uh, displace, axe a uh, um, hundred police officer positions and cut millions from the police department's budget in this violent, violent city. So this is a movement to defund the uh, St. Louis uh, Metropolitan Police Department. And again, this is being promoted, pushed, and really jostled through here by... Uh, uh, Congresswoman Cori Bush, uh, and she calls the decision historic, uh, uh, historic, and really pushing like hell, despite this being one of the most violent per capita in the world. And that's per capita in the world. That's how they come up with that number seventh, Randy, because it's how many people and the crime, and then it's per capita. You know how it goes, you know how they come up with that. Uh, but, you know, so then you have to question who the hell is Corey Bush and what is she a Nazi or a, a, a radical uh, extremist? For sure? But what's what do you accomplish? I mean, there's only one result if you're in a violent city like this. There's only one result that happens if you remove law and order. You've got you're you're really talking a third world chaos here, Randy. It does. It's going to get worse before it gets better there in St. Louis, eh?
4: Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Well, so Corey Bush is is the is is one. Part of this puzzle not okay. puzzle this this problem uh the new mayor who who literally just w- came into office like a week ago is um is is the other part of this problem uh to jones she's been in office nine days yeah. and uh and and she along with the all the rest of the agenda driven anti-law enforcement mm-hmm. politicians that are that are Running that city, um, there. This is all—it's it is wholesale stupidity. Like I said, it does—it's—it's it's absolutely illogical. This isn't based on on any formula for success. This is only based on hatred and bias of against law enforcement. You know, the, the here's what's so incongruous about this: the the protests against law enforcement. Uh, are are basically this agenda of hatred all stemming from uh, a a false narrative that has been that has been perpetuated by the media and politicians and 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 organizations like black lives matter and antifa and all these other morons talking about that that policing is systemically racist and they talk about it as if it's fact, when in point of fact, there there is no truth to that. But it doesn't matter. The truth doesn't enter into this. When, when you're talking about the emotional levels that are being played out here, uh, you just simply say the word racist and policing, and it's expected that they are, uh, you know, uh, the, the same. And even though The diversity in law enforcement is really uh, uh, pretty strong. Uh, It doesn't matter because if you're a black cop, if you're a white cop, if you're Hispanic, it doesn't matter. You're a cop, and so you are a racist, even though you may be a racist against your own people because you simply are wearing a blue uniform. There's a, a, um, a video that just came out today. If anybody wants to take a look at it, it's absolutely shocking. It's on a uh, website called PoliceOne.com, and it's the it, it is a uh, body cam uh, piece of footage that just was released where a, a motorist is stopped by a police officer for for uh, uh, using her phone while she's driving, and this woman goes on a rant, a racist rant. The officer is apparently of Mexican heritage, and you you cannot believe what this woman is saying to this officer just, just racist to the core and yet in their weird minds they think it's okay to say this to a to a police officer because they don't consider police officers human any longer Malcolm and that dehumanization is at the core of what is going on today
1: yeah I've seen that video and it is grotesque uh, and it's uh... Uh, in its most kindest, uh, point of view, uh, it's horrible, really, really horrible. And it shows you what police officer, the, the, uh, the silver line into that video, actually, Randy is, it kind of shows a lot of Americans what police officers have to put up with, you know what I mean? Uh, so that's probably the silver line into that trashy video, but I will say this, that police officer handled that call brilliantly. You know that.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, Officers today are, are so professional when it comes down to dealing with the abuse that they're taking. But think of this. What human being talks to another human being like that? It, it's, it's, it's amazing the lack of, of civility and the, the belief that it's okay to talk to a cop like that because they're only cops. It's, it's absolute bias and prejudice on display for the world to see and yet these folks that are, that are uh, involved in this are so ignorant. They're, they're so freaking ignorant that they can't even see their own biases.
1: So why do you think in St. Louis, in the case of this, you talked about the mayor a moment ago, and then we're talking about the Congresswoman Corey Bush. Why do, what, what does it take, Randy? And you, you got a, you got a metropolitan area like this with the per capita of crime, seventh most violent in the entire world. That's not a list you ever wanna be on. And that just talks about the quality of life in the St. Louis area. Um, you know, which really is a beautiful area, should be, but not with this kind of crime. What does it take for the citizens to push back? Where's the where's the pain point for you? Take a look at our markets. You see what's happening throughout Pennsylvania, New York, a lot of these cities, California, all over the place. What does it take, Randy, for citizens? What will it take for them to wake up to a replace? these mayors that are horrible in the way they're governing. And we've seen that through the whole COVID exercise, but we're surely seeing it in law enforcement. And, and what will it take for people to wake up, Randy? What, what's it going to take?
4: That's a great question, Malcolm. I, I keep on moving the bar because I, every, time, every time I see these, these horrendous crime statistics taking place, I go, okay, um, is this not enough for you? Are you not getting it? Because quite honestly, the people who are being elected into these positions, it's the people who are putting them into office. It's the people who are, are, and I cannot fathom why someone would put a person into office that cares not one tiny little bit about their safety, that only cares about their political agenda. But you know, where's that? There's that saying that that people get the government that they deserve, and and you know, the, here's the here's the thing: is the complacency level so high that people won't get and and actually vote? Is it just the people who are so um uh have have such a malignancy that within them of hatred? that they're the ones that go to the polls and vote. Um, that's what is, I'm wondering right there. That, and that's what I'm wondering too. I mean, what what does it take? What, at what level do you have to believe that, that your own life and the lives of the people that you love are in danger, realize that and say, can we put responsible leaders into office that give a damn about safety? That's, I don't, for purpose, you know, personally, I look at it and I go, are, are you, are you so dumb that you can go put a Ted Wheeler into office mm-hmm. or you can go put uh, a, a Corey Bush into office because you, you, you are so agenda driven or, or either that, or you've been drinking the Kool-Aid because, you know, let's face let's face it, Malcolm. The American public has been fed such a line of, of garbage over the last four or five, six years, actually, since Ferguson, since the Michael Brown situation. They've been fed um, a, um, a party line of, of um, false information, for literally for years now. I mean, you have kids in, in, in grammar school being told that the cops are the enemy well if you infuse that that type of propaganda uh, into the into the media which is completely anti law enforcement you repeat the the this narrative long enough and that's becomes that becomes the reality and i'm afraid that this is
1: a huge part of the issue Um, uh, Listen to this, Randy, this is the second crazy story I got, and I don't know if you heard this or not, but let me read this uh, headline to you here, Green New Deal mastermind, Rihanna Gunn-Wright, director of climate policy at the Roosevelt Institute, listen to what she said, this is a lady that's got a position of stature, Uh, she's got a platform, and she says this about all of this politically, a clean environment includes a police-free environment. Now, what purpose would a person, Rihanna, Rihanna gunn and, and and let me, and I want to read this statement. It says here, the true purpose behind the so-called Green New Deal is finally being revealed. And it has nothing to do with saving the planet and its, and its ecosystems. Green New Deal mastermind Rihanna Gunwright, director of climate policy at the Roosevelt Institute, says that a big part of achieving environmental justice involves dealing with police brutality, which she says is an environmental justice issue, and she wants a police free environment as part of her Green New Deal. What do you say to that story?
4: Now, how do you how do you answer something that is so absolutely absurd, even on the face of it. You know, I, 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 I look and I say, OK, five years ago, if this woman had come out publicly in a position of, of authority that she has and made a statement like that, even I think five years ago, people would have looked at her and go, um, you probably need to go do something else. Because you clearly don't have a grasp on reality, um, because it, it's it's absurd on the face of it. But this goes to show how perverted our political system has become. When uh, when that type of of rhetoric, not only not only is it is it uh, accepted but it's praised and 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 funded oh my god i can't imagine the salary she's making and the and the budget that she has to spout her insanity but you, you know it, that's what i'm saying you, you you see something as absolutely absurd and illogical coming forth from someone in a position of authority and you know you and i got to shake our heads and go what what part of crazy is 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 not being observed
1: here? Well, the radicals are becoming mainstream, Randy, is what uh, what I'm saying, you're saying as well. The radicals are now, you're right, five years ago, 10 years ago, she, she is denounced. It's not, she would be denounced, she would be defunded herself, let alone defunding law and order, she'd be defunded. And, but now it's becoming, here's the danger in all this that I point out today, It's become an acceptable behavior. These radicals that are all over the place. Here's a third one, Randy, for you here. Keith Ellison, Keith Ellison. He wants, uh, and I don't know if you well, I don't know if you've seen this story, but this is going to upset you if you didn't. He wants American police prosecuted in international criminal court. Now, listen, I mean, this story is unbelievable. The, The criminal court... This is this is what deals with sexual slavery, uh, child conscription, torture in the Congo, uh, genocide, forced uh, migration. These are really the worst crimes against humanity. Um, you know, pillaging sort of crimes. Uh, this is what this criminal court does. Now, he he came out this past Tuesday. Said uh, uh, the uh, Minnesota Attorney General and former DNC Deputy Chief Keith Ellison told, "Listen to this, MSNBC." Uh, and CNBC told uh, ho- the host that the U.S. should be added to this list as reported. Uh, this is all, all of I mean, this story. Is this one here was reported on Newsmax. But it, it's appalling that Ellison would suggest that American police officers and, and, and prosecutors that would be uh, should be investigated by some international criminal court body, Uh, for crimes against humanity that cover things like uh, genocide war crimes the worst kinds of crimes on the planet randy and this is what keith ellison wants our police to be prosecuted in you can't make this stuff up
4: oh i know i i saw this well keith ellison has always been an anti-law enforcement activist um you know when when i saw him get elected to the position of um, attorney general in in uh, minnesota it was to me, I, it was one of those moments I just had to shake my head and go, well, here we go. This is going to be another symptom of the, uh, of the problem here. And you, you, put a, you put someone who's got a radical anti-law enforcement mindset into a position of authority that is actually part of the criminal justice system, and you have the rot from within. I mean, he's literally a Trojan horse. He's a traitor. He's a traitor to criminal justice. And because he has a platform, because he has an agenda, because he's been given authority, um, he utilizes that to uh, invoke his own radical agenda. And there could be no more radical uh, concept than to use the United Nations to uh, police the police. I, I mean, talk about an organization even on his face, the United Nations is one of the most uh, corrupt anti-Semitic organizations uh, on the face of the planet. Uh, then Now, now uh, an attorney general wants to turn over policing the police to them. It is absolutely absurd isn't even I, – I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, quite honestly – because it is so radical, it is so idiotic that um, that for 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 it to be even considered uh, is is a travesty.
1: Randy, the last couple of moments left. I want to just cover. I want to first of all tell folks. Uh, TheWoundedBlue.org. TheWoundedBlue.org. Uh, this is the best way to make a difference and help out. This uh, organization is on the march here, and again, uh, Lieutenant Randy Sutton is co-founded this and uh, well-founded it actually, right, Randy?
5: This, yes, was yes. this was your baby. this
1: was your this was your vision. Uh, it was time to do something in law enforcement to be able to help a lot of these families and officers who are hurt in the line and, of duty, and their families are um, uh, they're in a crisis mode, or something happens, and uh, they find a lot of um, agencies and a lot of c- cities and states, sadly, turn the other way instead of helping uh, these crisis moments, and that's what the wounded blue. They serve a major purpose to help our fellow uh, brother and sister in blue here. Uh, Randy, what's ahead, take a moment, just tell us what's ahead here uh, for you, for the wounded blue and the mission.
4: Well, here's the thing. We are, we have just begun our fight really. We've been in operation two years. Uh, We've helped over 9,000 law enforcement officers and we've just basically just, that's just the tip of the spear. Um, there's there's such a major need for uh, assisting law enforcement now more than ever because the injuries that that these men and women are sustaining are not just physical you know we're seeing of course last last year there was in the area of 60,000 you heard me right sixty thousand assaults on law enforcement officers wow that's physical attacks yeah. physical attacks now those range from everything from gunfire to to punching and, you know, pushing, punching, et cetera. Um, the psychological injuries that these men and women are uh, experiencing, post-traumatic stress injury, um, psychological injury, emotional injury, is probably double that. And, and and these are injuries you don't see, but can be as real as a bullet as well. The suicide rate for law enforcement is climbing and climbing and climbing, it's at epidemic proportions. Mm-hmm. And the current environment in which these men and women are serving is further deteriorating the mental health and emotional well-being of these men and women. So, um, my organization is made up of all cops who've been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, wow. screwed up, and screwed over. And believe me, they're busy as hell. And we really need the public support. Yeah. We need. We need financial support. Uh, Because trying to raise money for a police charity, I got to tell you, um, it's disgusting the way people have turned their backs on these men and women who have done nothing but sacrifice themselves for the people they serve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you put it out there very succinctly right there, Uh, uh, thewoundedblue.org, thewoundedblue.org, my friends. Uh, Now, the the links to this organization can be found right at americaoutloud.com as well. Uh, you'll get it there. Uh, let's get behind the organization. You'll hear, I, I wanna, you hear uh, things all over our network about the Wounded Blue and uh, our passion to help uh, this uh, uh, important and needed organization out uh, to do what they need to do to help our brothers and sisters who are protecting our communities, our cities, towns, neighborhoods, etc. cetera. Um, there is a mission ahead here, my fellow Americans. Uh, we need to get the radical out of all of this and get back to a, uh, a reasonable way of thinking uh, when it comes to law enforcement. Um, let's take a moment. It's been, what an incredible program today. I have to tell you, first of all, and uh, a tremendous thank you to the entire couple of hours uh, Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, the National Police Association, uh, always a great voice. Uh, we've had her on Viewpoint uh, recently days, and she's always available to put the good word out. Going through a struggle herself in her life and been uh, fighting cancer herself. God bless her. Uh, and uh, Dave Smith as well. Uh, so uh, truly amazing. And then here, Lieutenant Randy Sutton. Uh, you know, we have a job to do ahead. and We need to support uh, this profession in every way that we can. Uh, so uh, please, uh, also Blue Lives Radio, Randy's show. Uh, again, uh, you can find him on Facebook, uh, The Voice of Law Enforcement. Uh, uh, he is it entirely. Uh, but uh, Blue Lives Radio plays at noontime Eastern time on uh, America Out Loud Talk Radio. So here at noontime or nine o'clock Pacific uh, in the morning there, but uh, otherwise noon Eastern, uh, and you'll hear all the good uh, word and things that Randy is doing out there. So. I want to leave you with that message there. Please get involved and let's help out uh, the organization and make a difference out there, my fellow Americans. Uh, It is up to us to carry that torch of liberty and no better place than to start right here at home. Uh, Thank you again for being with me on the mission here. It's time to get involved and get loud.